0: Welcome to another episode of our tech law podcast series and in this podcast we'll be discussing the European Technology Index 2020 which has been compiled by interviewing 350 senior executives in the technology sector from right across Europe. My name is Ross McKean, I chair the cyber and data protection practice of DLA Piper in the UK And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Rayburn. Uh, Mark is the CEO and founder of Context IS. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Perhaps I could uh, ask you uh, to kick things off to introduce yourself and your organization. Thank you
1: very much, Ross, and thank you for inviting me to to join you on this uh, interesting conversation. So I'm Mark Rayburn. I am the CEO at Context and set the company up in 98. Uh, Initially with three people, Uh, we now have 300 or somewhere around 300 people Um, and uh, have grown the business, uh, helping our clients provide, uh, uh, providing our help to our clients around cybersecurity in general, but most specifically focusing on uh, the assurance of their their current security measures, investigations of breaches where people have uh, have hacked them and attacked them and, and to do research into technologies as they grow. Um, We uh, were brought by Accenture in March of this year, so we join a very uh, august uh, and huge organisation who have an ability to uh, help organisations in all areas, but uh, we bring to to that organisation our expertise in, in, if you like, breaking things and understanding the vulnerabilities associated with those organisations. And we've had a long experience of being able to do that, but we've not been able to provide that fix. Uh, and that solution. Uh, So the marriage of of Accenture's capabilities and our our expertise is a really good one. And we're looking forward to uh, developing that as we move into Accenture over the coming years.
0: Very exciting times. Well, it sounds as though you've been as ever very busy with uh, corporate uh, deals and a lot of client work as well. But um, I think the main reason you're busy is that the cyber criminals have been busy. So maybe you could, before we dive into some of the findings of the report, it would be great just to get an overview from you of you know, what you're seeing in the market who are the threat actors um has the market really changed in terms of threats over the last couple of years uh, what's it like on the on the front line of, of the battle on cyber
1: thanks ross yeah so um i don't think i'm going to be redundant anytime soon um n- nor are my colleagues um which i guess is a good thing um although it's, uh, it's always bittersweet i guess but uh, no the uh, the cyber landscape is uh cyber security landscape continued to be a challenge uh, and, and continues to morph uh, i think we are um, in a cat and mouse game always have been and always will be um, and the adversaries uh, in various shapes and sizes uh, are cunning and adapt their ways uh, which keeps us busy and uh, keeps us entertained i think if i was going to um, summarize you know, what we see at the moment Um, There is uh, an ever-growing plethora of what I would call bad guys, and the bad guys come in a number of different flavors. Uh, I think from from the hierarchy of badness and and these are relative terms, um, the ones that are most proficient and the ones that we spend a huge amount of time dealing with are the nation states. So hostile nation states that have uh, a cyber capability as part of their offensive capability development um, keep us busy. um, And... uh, We continue to work to uh, help organizations uh, stop and uh, detect and uh, eject uh, nation state uh, actors who are there to uh, apply their trade in a number of ways, Uh, often to gather intelligence or intellectual property um, or indeed a combination of those things. And in many cases, there are um, a persistent uh, actor. So where you are working with a, a client who is in what we refer to as the high threat club. So they have um, assets of great value, uh, particularly from a, from a governmental point of, point of view. Um, they will generally be targeted on a permanent basis, and the adversary's opportunity, uh, objective is to uh, gain persistent access uh, such that they can come and go as they will uh, and, and gather information. The interesting thing about that is they tend to be um, what I would refer to as parasitic. So they have no intention of doing harm uh, or, or terminal harm to their host. Um, they're just they just wish to gather data and, and harvest information as they go. But their intent isn't to, to do damage. I think criminals are, are increasingly moving in that direction, uh, and the organised criminal fraternity um, have learnt much from uh, the nation states uh, and their, their capabilities. And I think we've seen in the last year a significant change where um, the criminals are working out that the smash and grab is still an opportunity, but there are also ways where Um, uh, they can use their access that they gain to gather more surreptitious uh, information and be there over a longer period of time and I think the area I would call out most uh, that's changed is is the ransomware area so I think ransomware has been a problem for a long time uh, as it's been well publicized uh, on many occasions but I think we're seeing a change in in how that ransomware is deployed Um, it's much more now coupled with um, the traditional um, access that a nation state might get um, and the use of, of, of gaining knowledge of the target before the, the ransomware is uh, deployed. So it's much more intelligently uh, deployed. Interactively deployed ransomware is a phrase that you you may have heard. Um, I think we'll probably hear more over the uh, the coming year. so IDR it is really the case where an actor gets onto the site uh, onto the to the infrastructure identifies where the key assets are and the key information is and actively targets the ransomware to make most impact. Um, and we're seeing a, an increase in that type of activity. And I think that's going to be the case um, for uh, the coming year. Um, uh, again, the actors are gaining persistent access to the network so they can come and, and go so that it's very hard for um, the organization concerned to really um, be sure that they're out of the network. So um, one uh, ransomware infection can lead to a second and a third, um, and so on. And and unless you understand the, the route that uh, has been used to get in and, and get persistence, it's very difficult to, to be sure that you're going to get them out for a long time. So, so it's a real interesting challenge. Um, I'd also say that um, we're seeing uh, a change in target. I think uh, the, the the strange environment we're in with COVID um, has brought about a number of different uh Issues um, and we're seeing uh, COVID itself as a as a catalyst uh, for phishing attacks uh, and seeing activity around um, the, the the very issue that everyone's remotely working. But we're also seeing COVID as a target. So um, particularly nation states again would be particularly interested in the um, uh, in, information around COVID. So what what organizations also what, uh, what what governments are finding in respect of COVID, what impact it's having on the economies of the various entities. Um, And we're also seeing uh, the scientific community and the pharmaceutical community being targeted where nation states are seeking to get uh, access to the information around uh, the the, the solutions to COVID uh, and wanting to get that as a leverage and a position of power effectively. So it's a very dynamic and and fast moving uh, environment. Uh, And I don't see that changing at all. So. In, in, in a very long-winded answer, um, I think I'm gonna be busy for some time.
0: Thanks, Mark. And I just to echo some of that, certainly across our global cyber practice, we've had an extremely busy year and uh, have been busier um, since the lockdown started across the world. Um, I think, unfortunately, the threat actors are absolutely using COVID-19 as an opportunity. Um, we are also, being, getting involved with attacks that have started with a COVID-19 related um, phishing attack, seen a few of those. Uh, also, we're seeing a number of clients and organizations struggling with um, some of the containment and defense controls and implementing those in a COVID working from home environment. It's difficult, for example, to do a forced uh, mandatory password reset if you have every, everyone working remotely over the VPN uh it's it's possible it's just harder to do um the criminals know that and uh, regrettably i i we've certainly seen an uptick in attacks um over the last 3 months um without really any sign of that of that diminishing okay so now i have you certainly have my attention and uh, this is why this is such an important area maybe we could now talk to uh, turn to the uh, the 2020 uh, tech index And that listed um, uh, areas of growth as identified by the report's respondents. So it's worth noting, Mark, that cybersecurity comes second on the list of uh, trend technologies in this year's report. So it's pipped to the number one spot by the Internet of Things, and it comes second to um, AI and robotics, which are in third spot. Now, uh, of course, all three of those are very heavily interrelated, because IoT and AI and robotics rely very heavily on trust. Um, like any products, if there's no trust, then it's difficult to sell it. So perhaps we could just turn our attention now to that interplay, and how important do you think cybersecurity is and will continue to be um, to the success
1: of IOT and to the excess of AI and robotics? I think, uh, as we pointed out at the start of this, this conversation, um, that the the, the, the the game is very much a cat and mouse game. So um, you're not done and never will be done in many respects. So it is an area where um, the uh, the opportunities uh, will continue for, for, for a long time. I think that one of the things that makes it different to many other industries as well is the, uh, the the technology itself is a, an ever-changing environment. And I think in my 30 years of being in this business, we're, we're probably at, at some bigger inflection point now than I, I can remember ever being in the past. So I think with the, the, the explosion of cloud environments, the the growth of the internet of things uh, as a collective, 5G as a, as a new uh, medium to exchange uh, traffic, Uh, all are are changing the dynamics of of the landscape effectively that we operate in at a rate that's probably never been seen before. So um, I think that's a driver where um, it's enabling IT and technology in a way that perhaps has never really uh, been seen. And I think we're going through that process at the moment. Uh, The the COVID issue itself um, has caused many organisations to have to, in many cases, quickly come up with a, a means of having people work remotely from home and have the technology there to support them to do that. Uh, And that's been a rush to to put in place those sorts of things. And I think that's just an example of how technology is changing in our lives uh, and the use of technology is changing. All of those are fantastic opportunities and and give us new abilities to work in ways we we haven't really been been able to work for before. And I think it's always been here. Um, I think everyone has been sat there going, well, I can't possibly work from home. Um, Can't be as effective, can't be as efficient. And people will, will, will put their feet up and not work. And, we're, you know, this, this COVID exercise has forced us to, um, to understand that actually that can be done. Um, and all of those things are great and, and, and provide us opportunities to work in new ways. But what they also do is operate, uh, offer the the, uh, the bad guys uh, a new facility to, to go and harvest um, uh, information and money. Um, so I think... We're in an an environment where before the COVID issue, and indeed before the uh, the recent uh, plethora of new technologies, we were already in a growth industry where there is a shortage of uh, of supply of of skill. So um, many organizations um, have have tried to, uh, I'll use the phrase jump on the bandwagon, it's a bit of a a colloquialism and I'm sorry for that, but uh, many organizations have tried to make cyber a priority, particularly in the consulting world. Um, And there has been, as you point out, a a consolidation of of suppliers in that space. But new ones are coming along all the time. uh, And that's really healthy and good. Uh, People are coming along with with new ideas and new ways of thinking. Um, But I think uh, the reason that the industry will continue to grow over over a longer period of time is as quick as we think and as quick as we adapt and as quick as we develop uh, new ways of of detecting and uh, protecting uh, the IT infrastructures that we hold there, uh, the, the bad guys are equally able to to, to flex uh, and to to find new ways to exploit um, the opportunities that present themselves to them. So I, I think the industry as a whole is going to keep continue to grow. I think the large corporates see security quite rightly in many respects as a, a must do, um, and uh, one of the blockers to perhaps some of the innovation and growth. Um, is the, the concern about cybersecurity. Um, and so it becomes a main tenant of, of large organizations' requirements to have cybersecurity properly addressed. Um, I think the properly addressed bit is the other um, uh, difficulty. Uh, I don't think you ever get to a place where security is done. Um, there is a danger that people put in a, a piece of technology, um, write a policy, uh, adopt an uh, employer CISO, Um, make a number of of decisional uh, changes um, and assume that that's then done uh, and that they're sorted, or indeed by insurance and think that that's covered. Uh, I think we're seeing in many, many cases where those uh, assumptions perhaps are helpful, but they're not the silver bullet. Um, And if there's one thing I can guarantee, um, there will probably never be a silver bullet um, to to the problem.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And certainly we're, I think cyber and privacy compliance is it has to be evergreen it, it's it's very much like um the fourth road bridge if you don't keep painting it then it will rust um you can't do cyber by buying technology you can't do it by appointing a CISO you can't do it by buying insurance uh, it's all of those things and it's also keeping up with the state of the art keeping across and understanding what data is being processed in your organization, what might be of interest to threat actors and making sure you have appropriate security. And also, um, if you are, which every organization is to some extent, uh, interfacing with other organizations, also thinking through, could I be used as a way into those counterparties if I'm a vendor? Um, So it's not necessarily just your own cyber Uh, risk profile that you need to think about, it's also your counterparties, because that might be of interest to the threat actors. My my sense, Mark, again, I'd be interested in your view, is um, there's been a lot of attention on cyber and um, GDPR over the last couple of years, and of course, uh, there's an interface there, but uh, cyber is much bigger than GDPR, and GDPR is much bigger than cyber, but there's quite a big interface of those two areas of compliance. a lot of organizations have spent a sizable fortune on getting ready for GDPR and implementing GDPR controls, and as part of that, dealing with cyber. Do you have any sense that there is a some, some form of exhaustion uh, uh, setting in, and also within an organization, understandably, other parts of the business saying, right, you've had your fun and games now for a couple of years. I now need you to attention. Uh, some attention on this area of compliance or this enterprise risk for the business have you have you sensed um a uh the budgets for cyber security be it consultancy or technology have become harder to open within organizations or or not or does it does it vary depending on the organization
1: I, 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 so i think very much depends on the industry um, and, and indeed the organization um, so i wouldn't be able to, to offer a single view um, in some sectors, particularly regulated sectors, um, in many respects, they don't have the option. Um, and they, there is a continued push to, to develop more. Um, so we've been um, involved quite heavily in the the initial generation, five or six years ago now, of, of what's referred to as CBEST, um, which is effectively the red teaming activities, um, the, the adversary simulation, if you like, um, of the banking sector to see if. Mm-hmm. The investment in that sector is adequate um, and I think those uh, those exercises that have now in their second iteration have revealed a great deal um, and have allowed uh, boards and regulators alike to understand where the current levels of investment have got them um, and in fact not got them uh, if I can make that uh, distinction um, and so there is a uh, recognition that there's been a huge amount of money spent uh, in many areas uh, on cybersecurity. And there's certainly a fatigue uh, in, in, in some industries and some businesses. But I think when, when particularly in a regulated environment, when, when the regulator requires sufficient security measures to be taken, that's, that in itself becomes a challenge. So w- when is it sufficient? Um, and one has to keep checking that what you're doing is adequate for the, the ever-growing threats and the evolving threats that, that, that uh, are presented, as we've said already. So I think there's a... Um, there's a need in the regulated space to, to keep pushing on and keep doing more and, and to recognize that uh, there is a is a parabolic curve effectively of, of, of um, many of the products that have come to market over over the last few years have been very effective um, at a point The irony in in our industry is that uh, where you have a, a really effective product ironically almost the more effective it is that the the shorter the lifespan it might have, so there is, a, there is a cause and effect. If you really have an impact on the security landscape by bringing to market a, a, a very effective security product that stops people from gaining access and stealing things, um, it becomes the target. Um, and people spend a huge amount of time and effort working out what does it do, how does it work, and how much I get around it. And so there is a sort of lifestyle, life, lifespan of a product where the more effective it is, the more likely it is that... Uh, it will get uh, attention from the, the the bad actors um and they will find ways to get around it and i think that's one of the things that most organisations need to recognise this is a moving feast they will need to keep investing and one of the the, the the most important things is to understand when things have reached their lifespan um and that a new investment is required in in a new 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 approach um because of it, it, it is going to be a moving feast and and i think that that, that that speaks to the, the, to, to the, perhaps the, uh, the the challenges around um, how, how are they are, are organizations getting fatigued at this? Um, they probably assumed uh, in my experience many have assumed that um, I've made a 10 million pound investment in all this technology. that's me done and I'm, I don't need to worry about it again. Just coming back to the tech index
0: 2020 and the list of potential opportunities. The number one um, opportunity cited by respondents. So, cyber was num- cyber security is number two. The number one potential opportunity in the twenty twenty report is the Internet of Things and connectivity. And of course, there is uh, an interesting uh, interplay between IoT and cyber security. Interestingly, later in the pro- report on uh, there was a, a separate question around blockers to the adoption of technology. Cybersecurity is cited as a blocker, but there's but there's less respondents uh, in 2020 uh, citing cybersecurity. That seems to be a, a lower level concern. Notably, uh, this report was completed before the um, JSOF uh, notified. Um, vulnerabilities in the Trek um, TCP/IP stack, which is used very extensively across the um, uh, IoT um, Internet of Things uh, uh, community. Uh, maybe, maybe the respondents would have answered slightly differently if if, if they were asked um, after uh, that notification. But perhaps you could comment, Mark, on how important, in your view, is uh, cybersecurity to the success of some of these other opportunities. So, so number one and number three, number one listed is Internet of Things. And the third um, biggest opportunity, according to respondents this time is uh, AI and uh, and robotics. So, so in your view, where does cybersecurity fit for those other opportunities?
1: Uh, very interesting. So I think I, I mentioned earlier that the Internet of Things is, is a huge opportunity. Um, but uh, it also rec- uh, represents an enormous expansion in the tax service. So um, what you would refer to as embedded systems that live in the internet of things products um, are often forgotten um, and often overlooked. Um, and uh, when uh, a, a vulnerability, such as the Trek runability you referred to earlier is found, it's incredible how widespread the impact could be. Um, and in that case, it was found uh, good work was done that was being done to to recognize the implications of that and things can be done to fix it and i think that's a really important part of all of this um, we need to do more to ensure that we understand where in where components are in the internet of things and how those those ecosystems hang together and what they rely on in terms of commonality and and we need to do more work up front to make sure that those common platforms that, that sit in the uh, embedded systems across the Internet of Things are all checked and tested as far as we can to make sure that they are are, are as robust and secure as we can make them. Um, There is, as as we've said, an expansion in all of those things. And of course, in in any industry that's fast moving as the Internet of Things industry certainly is, um, there is a rush to, to get products to market and to develop features and functions. Um, and there's always a tension between the security of those things uh, and the the race to add uh, features to market faster Um, and so we we end end up with a situation where um, the faster things are rolled out and the more um, uh, interconnected these things become the wider the attack surface and the easier there would it it becomes to find a a component in, in in parts of these things that have probably been put there many years ago and forgotten about that suddenly someone develops a vulnerability in that that, that component and it becomes a, a bigger target so i think that that's the the, the, the challenge in, in the internet of things and as for um ai and robotics i think if i take ai first um ai is a fascinating subject um, and one that is both a problem and a, and a solution um many of our our industry colleagues are, u- are using ai um, in one form or another to help uh, enable the detection of badness, um, so finding what 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 on a network is abnormal, unusual, um, and and investigate and providing that as a as a flag to be investigated um, is clearly a, a benefit because in in large organisations the, the network traffic is enormous and and having someone being able to do that physically without the aid of AI is, is 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 impossible. So AI being used to learn what normal looks like and to find opportunities. To pick out the abnormal and to investigate is key. Um, but I think there's, a, there's another side to AI as well. We're seeing uh, a, an increase in attacks on AI systems themselves. So the, the fascinating uh, question of when is when is AI working as it would intend it to, and when has it been manipulated by in some fashion in some fashion or other? So we've seen the, the, the huge amounts of press coverage around election rigging and, and, and all of that sort of stuff uh, and attacking the social media. Uh, infrastructure and affecting how that operates with with bots um, those are real problems they are clearly um, a growing challenge for everybody um, and there's there's seldom a day goes by in the media where that uh, this isn't covered and, and and how do you go about understanding whether AI is being poisoned or affected in some way or other um, by a malicious actor to make it do something you wouldn't expect it to so mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're both it's both an aid and it's also a challenge. Uh, which uh, I think is yet to be resolved and, and will keep lots of very sharp minds very busy for a long time to come. On the robotics side, we've seen um, uh, the effects of some of the, the malware on uh, the uh, control systems um, around the world. And, and we at uh, Context have seen a change uh, in in recent times where some of the malware that we're actually detecting actually has instructions in it that are very clearly aimed at control systems and very clearly aimed at doing damage to control systems. So there is clearly a move by the attackers to actually not just um, find vulnerabilities, but exploit those vulnerabilities and and exercise an advantage by using the the control systems uh, as a a means of causing damage. And I can see an increase in in the coming year where um, the sort of ransomware approach from organizations morphs into uh, uh, more of a physical attack uh, by affecting the control systems on a large plant, for example, uh, and then holding organizations to- There's really
0: really nothing new under the sun, is there? So it's Stuxnet 2020. Yeah, Yeah. exactly that. I'd like to come to, for me, one of the most surprising findings in this report in in the Tech Index 2020 survey, And that's the perception of the level of security against cyber attacks. So we asked respondents uh, for this report, as we did in 2018, how worried are you about the possibility of a cyber attack or breach uh, on your company? Uh, And what surprised me is that um, uh, in the answers, uh, 34% compared to 23% in 2018 answered that they they considered that their organizations were extremely secure. So the clear trend is that, at least according to the respondents, and there were many uh, for this survey, uh, businesses feel that they're more secure and more resilient to cyber attacks. So assuming that that perception is uh, universal, may not be, but let's just go with that assumption. Mark, do you think that even what we've just been discussing, do you think that perception that actually businesses are now more secure rather than less secure is is justified? And have you noticed any significant improvement in cyber controls or reduction in the level of attacks over the last couple of years for those organizations you have insight of that that might underpin that? That
1: finding? Always difficult to try and measure this, um, but uh... My sense is uh, that there has been um and I think we, we would all be quite disappointed and uh, depressed if there hadn't been an improvement um, in in the cyber security landscape uh, and there's certainly been the drivers to make that, that improvement the, the the regulated industries have been pushed hard regulations with uh, gdpr have forced people to do more to improve so so i think in some respects am i surprised um I'm not surprised. I am a little depressed, though, because uh, I'm not sure necessarily that the the assumption that the network is now extremely secure um, is one that's particularly sensible. Um, I, I've yet to find many networks that are extremely secure. Mm. Um, so uh, I think that's the difficulty. They're probably comparatively more secure than they were previously, and there is definitely a marked improvement in 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 the general sense in terms of of cyber security. In most enterprises. And I think that's certainly a true, a true statement. Whether it's enough is is another thing altogether. And I think one of the things that's often missed is the understanding of the risks and the understanding of the assets that are um, needing protection. Um, And so uh, there is a perception that any improvement, so I've written a policy, I've employed a CISO, uh, I've got a new piece of technology with lots of flashing lights on it, and therefore my security is now robust. It is a dangerous assumption. It's certainly true to say that if you make those kind of of steps, you will improve the security of your enterprise. It doesn't necessarily follow that you've done all all you need to. And indeed, as we've said many times on this this, this conversation so far, whether that's going to to stand the test of time and whether that's going to be the case in another year's time is another question again. So I think the fact that people are more confident about the security of their organisations is a good thing and, and something we should... We should at least acknowledge as, as, as progress. I think there's a danger of complacency, though, mm-hmm. and there's okay. a danger of an assumption that, that my work here is done. Um, and, and, and actually, in reality, that's not the case. So I mentioned CBEST earlier on. Um, that 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 was a successful program of work that encouraged the whole industry in the finance sector to, to to grow and improve their security. So to the point you just made, that would reflect uh, uh, my findings in that area. Um, but. The fact that we've gone through that process and and had um, lots of learning which obviously i won't go into the detail of but lots of learning around where assumptions around secure uh, practices were perhaps not as robust as they might like them to have been Um, we found areas where we could make uh, changes and in fact in some cases change investments in one direction to another direction to provide better protection Um, and that's had tangible benefits which i'd certainly recognize and, and we've seen the adoption of that sort of approach in, in, in other sectors like telecoms uh, and in government as a whole um, and, and, and across Europe uh, and the US. So there's definitely an understanding that, that you need to test your assumptions and you need to test that statement that my network is um, robust um, because that that's not necessarily always the case. Um, and I think there is a, a a push in the regulation to do more and I think I'd call out you know, one example that, 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 that is real to us and probably not that well known to everybody else. Um, a year ago, we would have been, and in fact, regulations currently still do, require multifactual authentication to be used um, as a means to secure a particularly privileged access um, where you've got a, a high-value asset. Uh, and that's certainly something that Context has and, and, and will continue to, to advocate. One of the things I would say, though, is in the recent months, we have seen evidence of particularly nation state actors with an ability to get around multi-factor authentication and to defeat multi-factor authentication solutions, which, again, is another example of where yesterday's solution um, is good for a period of time, but there will come a point in time where at least at the high end and then increasingly that will work its way down the stack, um, that solution becomes uh, less robust.
0: Mark, um, it just leaves me to thank you for joining us today um, for uh, a discussion of the DLA Piper Tech Index 2020. Uh, Thank you.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for inviting me
0: uh, to an interesting conversation. Thank you for joining today's podcast. I do hope that you found uh, the discussion of the DLA Piper European Technology Index 2020 useful uh, during this uh, difficult time for your organisations Uh, And please do uh, check out our COVID-19 Resource Centre, which is available on the DLA Piper website. Thank you.